Good evening again, everyone. Merry Christmas and welcome to Cross of Life. If I have not met you, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor here at our congregation, and we are very thankful that you chose our congregation to celebrate Christmas this evening. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer with me? Lord Jesus, we are looking at the same texts that the church has looked at now for over 2,000 years to remind ourselves of the day that you were born. We ask that you reveal yourself to us through your word so that we may know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and by, by believing in you, we may, may have life in your name. Amen. Tomorrow, my family and I are flying out to see my parents. My parents live in a small resort town in northern Idaho, about two hours from British Columbia, called Coeur d'Alene. It's a small little town in the mountains, and I'm excited to go for all the obvious reasons. But there's one reason I'm excited to go that maybe you don't think of right away. I'm excited to see the stars. I love living in the big city. I love the opportunities, I love the challenges, I love the people, but I'll be honest with you, one of the things I miss are the stars. Whether it's the light pollution from the big city or the overcast nights or just the fact that my face is in my phone probably more than it should be, I don't see the stars that often, but I love them. And I'm sure many of you do also. You go up to your cabin up north and on those clear nights you look out and see the beautiful stars. You know, people at Jesus' time when he was born, they looked at the stars all the time. There was no electricity to pollute the night sky. There was no Netflix account to go home to after a hard day's work. There was the stars, and you could look at them, and they were beautiful. But, you know, for all the time that they spent looking at the stars, especially guys like those shepherds who were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, they had a fundamental misunderstanding of what the stars were doing. The Greek scientists at that time, they, they noticed as they looked at the stars that the stars all kind of moved at the same speed in the same direction, except for a few of the stars, five of them to be specific, that just seemed to wander around the night sky. Those stars actually earned themselves the name the Wanderers, which in Greek is planetes. Now, you know today that those were not wandering stars. They were planets in our solar system that those scientists looked at and observed. But before we look back on them and say, ah, oh, they, they hadn't advanced like we have now in science to know that those aren't just wandering stars, they're actually planets, let's remember that the same thing happens with Christmas every year. If you live in Canada, you really can't escape Christmas. Even if you're not part of a culture that celebrates Christmas regularly, it's just part of the culture at, en masse. I mean, you can't escape the decorations and the advertising and the music, the whole thing, right? Every person in our culture is looking at Christmas every year. And yet, if you would ask the average person on the street, you would get some very different answers about what Christmas is here for. Some would say it's just time to hang out with your family, to relax, take a load off. Some would say it's just a big ploy by the big companies to get us to spend a whole bunch of money so that they make profit. Some would say it's the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. 
But the reality is that they're all looking at the same evidence and coming to fundamentally different conclusions about it. And I wonder if that's some of you. You've looked at Christmas 10, 20, 40, 60 times in your life and you still have a fundamental misunderstanding of the reality of Christmas. Maybe you think it's just a precious story about a little boy born to a poor mother in a stable. Or maybe you think it's a whole bunch of old legends that we can't really rely on anyways because they've been passed down for generation after generation and in transmission you know there's got to be some textual errors. How do we know it even happened this way? Or some of you might be thinking, I'm just here because my family dragged me here and I'm kind of ready to leave. I'm a pretty rational person. This whole God thing isn't going to work for me. As gently as possible, I want to say to you, if that's how you feel tonight, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of reality. But that the reality is so beautiful, so compelling, that even if you don't believe it's true, I hope that by the end of tonight, you want it to be true. We've been going through a sermon series for the last couple weeks called You Heard It Here First. It's been a Christmas series that is focused on the big idea that Christmas really happened, that it's historically verifiable fact that has impact on our life. And we've heard God tell the story to different characters. We've heard him tell Mary and tell Joseph and tell the shepherds. And next week, we're going to hear him tell the wise men. But there's one character in the Christmas story who you maybe bypass pretty quickly who also gets to hear God tell them the good news. And that's you. Tonight, you get to hear the good news. To do that, we're going to wrap our minds around one big idea. It's our first fill-in-the-blank if you're taking notes with us tonight. Christmas is good news for you. To get there, we're going to read three verses from the book of 1 John. The first three verses of that book, in fact, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we, pro- we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. This is God's word. So, Christmas is good news for you. Three parts to that. Good news and for you. I'm going to break down each one of those parts. And so let's start with news. What is news? News is a story that you did not have control over or maybe had little control over that still affects your life. Right? If it doesn't fit any of those categories, it's probably not news. If you already had some part to play in it, it's not news because you already knew what happened. And if it doesn't have an effect on your life, then it's, it's just a really nice story to hear, but it's not really news. <coughs> Excuse me. But the Bible says that Christmas is good news. You heard it in the, in the text, right? In the first verse of the text, John tells us that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, in which we have seen, in which we have touched, That's what they're proclaiming. 
We see, hear, touch, those are words of a reporter, aren't they? Like if you sent a reporter on location to figure out the story, he's going to ask questions like, what did you see? What did you hear? Maybe what did you experience, right? John is saying up front, this is good news. And that separates it from every other world religion on earth. See, Christianity is rooted in history. Every other world religion gives you sort of a a philosophy, an ideal, a way of living, some tenets to enact in your life. But more or less, they're uh, disassociated with history. If If you're a Muslim, you don't need Muhammad to be a Muslim. It's nice that he was there, he brought the prophecy, et cetera, et cetera, but you don't actually need him. It could have been anybody. If you're a Hindu, you you don't need Siddhartha Gautama to be alive in order for the religion to be valid. He can be dead. He just taught you how to detach from life so that you wouldn't feel the pain and, and struggle and desires that you have. But Christianity is fundamentally different. It's rooted in history. It's news. It's a story that you didn't have any control over, but that still very deeply affects you. Which means you can't explain it away. You can't just say, I don't like it, or it doesn't work for me. It it claims to be history, which means if you're not going to believe it, that's fine, but you have to have a historically verifiable reason not to believe it. It would be the same to say, I don't like the fact that World War II happened, so I don't believe it happened. Sorry. Whether you like it or not, it happened. And unless you can provide a historically verifiable reason for me to say it didn't, I don't care how you feel about it. It's history. It's news. If you're taking notes with us, that's our first fill in the blank. Christianity is, is not good ideas, good rules, good inspiration, or good motivation. The gospel is news. Many people come to Christmas and Christianity with an understanding of the former of those statements. That Christianity and Christmas is a chance for me to give up old grudges, to work on being a better person, to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more kind, especially around the holidays, right? But that's fundamentally wrong. That's not what Chris, Christian, Christianity and Christmas is about. It's news. But it's not just news. It's good news. You've had a lot of bad news, I'm sure, in your life. News that comes from a diagnosis or a phone call you didn't expect to get, a visit from the police, papers you were served. You've gotten bad news before. And it hurts. Because you had no control over it, but it still deeply affects your life, right? But what Christianity offers to you is not just news, it's good news. Look at the second verse of the text that we read. John tells us that what, we see, what we've seen, what we've touched with our hands, what we've heard, it appeared. The life appeared. And we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, what John is telling you is that this, this news, this story, which didn't depend on you but deeply affects you, is good news. It's news that life has appeared. You might think to yourself, well, what does he mean, the life has appeared? 
Well, very basically, he means Jesus has appeared, and he assumes that you already know because you've read most of the Bible up to 1 John that Jesus is the Son of God and God is life. And the story of Christmas is that Jesus, God's Son, came into our world to give life. And that, too, is a fundamentally different message than anything else you're hearing in your life right now. From a thousand different places, the world is telling you, you have to be, you have to do. And you feel the pressure, right? Be skinnier, be smarter, get richer, be more successful, be more friendly, get acknowledgement, whatever it is, you're feeling it from all sorts of sides, and you feel the pressure. It doesn't just bounce off you. It goes deep into your soul, and it affects you. It keeps you up at night. It makes you wake up in the morning and feel like, today i got to prove it again. And that's because at the deepest level, every one of us is struggling with the existential reality that we're going to die. If you could live forever, you wouldn't worry about your retirement. There'd always be more work somewhere down the line. If you weren't going to die, you wouldn't worry about your kids. They'll figure it out eventually. They've got forever. If you weren't going to die, you wouldn't worry about your health. This sickness will never take my life. If you weren't going to die, you wouldn't worry about being popular because you wouldn't have to prove anything to anybody. But at the bottom layer of every one of us is a fear that we're going to die. There's a reason that when you go to a funeral, you you don't know what to say. You don't know how to act. You don't know how to manage your emotions because deep down you know it's not supposed to be like this. That's why Christmas is good news. Because the life appeared. See, that little baby in the manger had to be a little baby so that he could take on death. God can't die, but a human being can. And so when God took on human flesh, he made himself killable so that he could give the immeasurable life that he has to you. He could absorb your death into himself so that when you die, when you breathe your last, you will not cease to exist or go to hell, but completely keep on living forever in a world that far surpasses anything that this world can offer you. Christmas is the good news that that appeared for you. And you're not going to find that anywhere else. North Americans, we love the idea of getting better, of a couple ideas for how to straighten out our life. We don't like to admit that we need good news to happen to us. But once we realize that we're not actually pulling it off, this good news, it becomes life to us. It becomes the ability to wake up every morning not feeling the pressure that I need to pull it off, but knowing that Christ has completely pulled it off in my place. Because Christ was a success, I'm free to be a failure. Because Christ was enough, I'm free to be not enough. Because Christ died, I'm free to live without fear of death. If you're taking notes, the next fill in the blank for today is that Jesus is life. To know Jesus is to know something that no one else knows. To know a way to really live in a world that's filled with death. And if you're taking notes, keep your pen out because the next fill in the blank I want you to get right away. That good news 
it can change you. We'd like to think that, you know, five steps to a better life or three steps to a better marriage would change us, but in the end, it doesn't. It might change a behavior, but it doesn't change who we are. See, if you live by a worldview that says essentially, if you do, you will succeed. If you pull it off, you'll be enough. Do this and you will live. Then one of two things is going to happen to you. On the one hand, you actually start pulling it off. And you'll start to get arrogant. Because you'll have no one to blame for your success but yourself. Your hard work, your effort, your good decision making. You'll see everyone else is not as successful, not as smart, not as wise as you. And before you start thinking, no, I wouldn't do that, realize that when you say that, what you're really doing is saying, I'm much better at not thinking that I'm much better than everyone else. You can't escape it. If your whole worldview is built on, if I do, I'm good enough, you'll end up there or you'll end up in despair. Because you'll realize that you're not pulling it off. You're not good enough. Every day you wake up and you don't succeed. You go to bed knowing that you're a failure. And, well, if, you're, if your acknowledgement, your self-esteem, your self-worth is based on what you do, you're going to end up empty. And you won't be arrogant, but you will also not step out into life with any sort of confidence or any sort of purpose. But good news can change you. Because good news says, even though you aren't that good of a person, in fact, even though you're a rebellious person against God, God, because of Jesus, sees you as valuable, sees you as worth his time, worth more than his time, worth his life. And no matter how many times you've screwed up, no matter how many times you've done the opposite of what you knew you were supposed to do, Jesus sees perfection. And if you've been kind of successful in life, you can know that all of that success was given to you by Jesus. And for all the minor failures that you've made, which are actually a lot bigger than you think they are, there's grace for you too. And so you can step out every day confident, knowing that I have a status that is irrevocable, that I am loved by God and accepted by him, promised eternal life, whether I make it or I mess it up today. That won't just change your behavior, that will change your heart. And that's what Christmas offers, good news. But there's one last part to this, and I think it's the hardest part, and it comes in the last verse. John tells us, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, the last part of this good news is that it's for you. And it may not seem like a hard question to wrestle with at the beginning of this sermon, but I bet you, you're wrestling with it now. On the one hand, you might be thinking, for me, I don't even believe it's true. For me, it was so long ago. How does it apply to me now? For me, I'm not a good enough person to deserve God's love. For me, I'm doing pretty well. I don't need God. But it is for you. And John says so. He says, we proclaim this to you so that you can have fellowship with us. 
And that fellowship is not just with John or with Pastor Caleb or with Cross of Life. It's with God. See, this message is for you so that it can change you, not just in the way you step out into your life tomorrow, but your whole eternity. And you know how I know it's for you? Because God wrote it down. In 2011, the Nobel Prize for Physics was given to a couple men who studied the expansion of the universe. And they realized in their studies that not only was the universe expanding, but it was accelerating. It was expanding ever faster every year. And so they realized in their research that there would be a day sometime in the future where the galaxies that we now see in our starry night sky would start to move so fast away from Earth that the speed of light would not overcome that speed and we would cease to see them. They hypothesized that there would be a day where you would walk out on a night and you would not see the stars. And on that day, you know what those modern people will say? <laughs> those foolish people from the 21st century, they thought stars were in the night sky. Big balls of gas burning billions of miles away, I'm sure. Unless someone leaves them evidence. Someone writes it down. Someone leaves pictures. And if someone does that, then those modern people will be able to know that something that happened thousands of years earlier is true. 2,000 years ago, God came down. The life appeared. And somebody wrote it down. In fact, a number of people wrote it down. They wrote down the things that they had seen, the things they had heard, the things they had touched. We call them scriptures, or maybe you know it as the Bible. And those words are preserved even from manuscripts that we have today that date back to the first and second century, within a hundred years of Jesus being on earth, there was written records of what he did. It's for you. It was written down so that you would know that something 2,000 years ago happened that can change your life. And I pray that you believe it. You might think to yourself, well, it's all well and good, but it's just a book. It's just written by men. If God had shown up to me with an angel like he did for Mary or Joseph or those shepherds, maybe I'd believe it. I understand. But you know the word angel? It comes from a Greek word, Greek word angelos, which is a word that doesn't mean flashing white beast with wings that speaks messages from God. The word angelos just means messenger. And in fact, the Bible uses that word not just to talk about the immortal beings who come from God, but also about pastors. And so I'm certainly not immortal, and I certainly don't have wings. But I am an angelus, here to tell you the good news of great joy that is for all people. That 2,000 years ago in the city of David, a Savior was born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and that by believing in him, you may have life. And nothing out there can offer you it except him. For the skeptic, for the Christian, for the not religious, this is good news. And I pray that you believe it. 
Amen.